Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion on motoring news. This is episode 510 on Tuesday, the 24th of January, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be trying to fathom the government's desire to make roads less safe. We discuss how hope and could do an incredible amount of lifting with one plan. And we learn we need to sing happy birthday 83 times this year. But first, we leap straight into a bit of follow-up. Mm-hmm. And I'll start with Kazoo. Still sounds like a musical instrument yes, it does. that you'd expect to find on. I'm sorry, I haven't declared. I know. <laughs> yeah, I do think we should be doing a round of that. The company that seemed to sponsor every sporting event across the UK and Europe in an incredibly small amount of time, but that's now backpedalling, is now backpedalling even further. Last Back end of last year, we discussed how they were leaving Europe after going into Italy and Germany, I want to say. I could be wrong on that I one, think but it was it definitely was, Italy. Yeah. But they're now discussing how they are going to scale back their UK operations. Mm-hmm. They did not hit the 100,000 uh, cars that they thought they would sort out in 2022. They were 65,000. Quite far down. Yes, it is. They've now said that they intend to retail forty to 50,000 used cars in 2023, and they're going to focus on fast-moving and high-margin stock. Mm. Ah, grey Audis. Yes. Grey Audis and grey Volkswagens. Exactly. So you weren't focusing on cars that would make a profit? Okay, fair enough. What this will also mean is that they are cutting back on the number of sites and that therefore means job losses too. Mm -hmm. It's not the only changes that are happening. Inside the senior management team, Alex Chesterman, who is the executive chairman and CEO and founder of Kazoo, will now only be the chairman. Whilst Paul Whitehead, who is the chief operating officer, will become CEO. There's other changes in the management structure as well, but mm-hmm. they're the two biggies. Uh, yeah. It feels like it's only a matter of time for Kazoo, really. That sounds a lot like it's uh, the investors have told us that I can't be at the top anymore, so we're shuffling around a bit. I did see just before we came on to record as well that they've been delisted, where shares were £17-odd and they're now delisted. That seems quite a big dent. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Mr. Carl Zhu has an awful lot of number plates that he could choose from. Uh, I'm sure going cheap quite soon. <laughs> yes. Do you want to take us on to the next bit of follow-up? Uh, next bit of follow-up. Lots of discussion this week so far about MOTs. There are proposals from the UK government to move MOT date to every two years. Uh, According to Autocar, it says the proposal comes amid the growing popularity of hybrid and electric vehicles and new vehicle technology. I think that that is completely and utterly irrelevant, but never mind. One of the proposals is to move MOTs to every two years. That's one part of it. And the other part is about pushing it back. Currently, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, in the UK, a vehicle has to have its first MOT test at three years old. Uh, they're looking at pushing that back to four years. Supposedly, uh, the government says if both moves are made, it will save motorists around £100 million per year in MOT fees. Actually, I don't really care about that. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Some people are so appalling at looking after their cars. The number of vehicles under three years old that you see with completely bald tires, 
often as a result of just ridiculously poor geometry because stuff just hasn't been checked or tested or anything for three years. I think that that's far, far too long. I don't have as much of an issue with the two years thereafter, bizarrely. Not if they make the tests stricter. And of course, they make tests stricter, then they'll put the price up. Yeah. Like the uh, control technique in France is every two years. Cars two years old and then two years after that. But it is rigorous. And it's far more rigorous than an MOT. And the whole structure of there are places that specialize in doing that, doing control techniques, uh, as opposed to many smaller garages. That I could almost get behind, but I don't understand why they're pushing this start date out. You would have thought they would have been pulling that back closer. Well, they tried this before, and they got a massive backlash from anybody with the brain Mm. who said, that's just ridiculous, what are you doing? It will make it far less safe, and it's frankly nonsense to say how much it's going to save, because it, it won't save. No, it won't. It's a fallacy. Yeah, it's a fallacy. It's made thrown in to make it look good. But the other one that gets me is that it won't impact road safety. This is according to the Autocar article that we will have linked in the show notes. Following, and I quote, major developments in vehicle technology, end quote, such as lane keeping assist. Absolute pish. Lane keeping assist does not help with brakes. It doesn't help with tire condition it doesn't help with anything many of them don't help with keeping you in the lane <laughs> let's be honest yeah well this is also true i mean that that kind of sentence has been written by a proctologist i mean there's just nowhere else that that could have come from there are some other bits and pieces so changes to ev testing are also under consideration potential tests could be brought in to improve reliability and safety through battery tests good idea i don't know quite what those are going to look like but good idea i do agree with that kind of thing this is a consultation though isn't it? So yeah. we have the opportunity to be incredibly clear that we, we do not think this is right or proper. Uh, I saw hmm. a couple of weeks ago before this came back out again uh, that there was discussions in the classic car world about MOTs and how many classic car owners have turned around and gone, oh, well, I don't need one, so it doesn't matter. Basically, with some of those older ones, you can just drag with an older car, you can basically just drag it out of the barn and drive it on the road theoretically yeah of course it should be roadworthy and people if you're stopped and it's unroadworthy then you've got a problem i'm going to take us to paris for a change and this is the follow-up on the paris e-scooter ban or not ban and what's being decided now by the mayor of paris is that she will open this up to a public referendum for the (laughs) residents of paris to decide whether they do or do not want e-scooters in their city I, I think this is hilarious because you know how this is going to play out, don't you? Loads of people are going to say, we want the scooters, we want them to stay. And so they'll stay in some way, shape or form. Politicians in charge of Paris will then go, okay, well, people want the e-scooters. We don't want the e-scooters, but we're not going to do anything about the e-scooters. What's going to happen is there's going to be e-scooters littered all over the place and sitting on pavements and scattered around the place and people are going to complain. So you should do something about this. <laughs> and the mayor of Paris, uh, and their office are going to go, well, oh, we tried to do something about this, but you said you wanted them, so it's your own fault. <laughs> we tried to warn you. <laughs> we, t- we tried to stop it, but you all said you wanted them, so this mess is your fault. We knew better. <laughs> Sorry, that is my incredibly cynical take on how this will play out. Being less cynical, though, and talking about the uh, article uh, involved here that's from Move Electric, There is actually quite a lot that these 
scooter companies, the three scooter companies have done or suggested they will do, which is things like that they're going to register the vehicles so they've got little small registration plates they've done that already yeah yeah they, they did that very quickly within two weeks because of course they already all have a way of identifying which vehicles which it's just a case of putting stickers on the outside of the yeah exactly scooter uh, and then there was things like the geolocating them so therefore they can't go on pavements but <laughs> we i'm questionable about that because we went to that conference and there was only one company there that was claiming they could get it to that sort of level of accuracy. Yeah, to the not on pavements level. I'm curious whether they've bought their tech or not. Mm -hmm. um, but then there was things like using camera technology to detect violation. Are they installing more CCTV or are they going to utilize the existing CCTV? That's an interesting one. But then there's mm. education and things like that. Uh, and then there's going to be a micro-mobility observatory to produce independent data <laughs> on usage and accidents. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so French. Well, we should say this by having an academic institution uh, purely to uh, look after this, uh, this uh, new uh, technology. <laughs> but one of the other points was, though, is they're going to price it in such a way that it encourages people to walk if it is only a short journey. So I presume yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm pulling ridiculous figures here, but 10 quid for two miles, and then after that it's 50p. Because yeah, it's, it's going to be a high initial charge and then much lower after that will yeah. kick in after a longer distance or something. Yeah, yeah that'll be weird. Yeah. But one to keep an eye on because Paris is one of those C40 cities, so whatever they do, others will look to possibly implement themselves. Mm -hmm. Other people will be looking and considering it, yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to the new news, and Alan has an article rather than me because my blood pressure. <laughs> It's very unusual for us, actually, because not only are we just starting off with this, but we are actually including a Tesla article. Uh, we've got a link to the Reuters story in the show notes, but it is all over Tinternet. And that is that a Tesla video promoting self-driving was staged. An engineer who was involved with it has testified for this. There are uh, emails going right to the very top pointing out that it doesn't matter if it's staged in places, just do it. Many parts of the video that was released on the Tesla website in 2016 showing a Tesla driving a distance and saying that the driver did nothing is frankly a lie. I think that we can go as far as saying that. Yeah. Well, there was one claim. Oh, he's off. There was one claim on their website because the video carried the tagline, carries the tagline because it's still visible, this video. You can still play it on their website. The person in the driver's seat is only there for legal reasons. He is not doing anything. The car is driving itself. Yes, in tiny bursts in between not driving itself. Yes. Yeah. Of course, the thing about that, thing about autopilot uh, or any of these things, is that it does not make a vehicle in autonomous. No vehicle cannot uh, cannot drive itself. It is mere, merely lane keeping uh, and uh, driving uh, driver assist systems, yeah. not full driving. Yeah, and there were other bits where it had been hard-coded in how it should behave at things like stop signs and stuff when it reached certain points. This has all come as part of the US Department of Justice's investigations into some of Tesla's statements like this. Yeah, it was. it's primarily in the 2018 fatal crash involving a former Apple engineer mm -hmm. uh, where this information came out. But it wasn't the only, only uh, test me because also the head of autopilot <laughs> yes. proceeded to 
was quizzed and made some, frankly, astonishing responses to the questions for somebody who's in charge of safety critical software. Yes, not knowing fun, sort of fundamental concepts that go along with designing for use within an open system as opposed to a closed system. Yep. And yes, just not seeming to recognize or understand any of the terminology around. I don't have that, that Twitter thread open uh, on my screen at the minute, but it's around uh, system. Oh, gosh, I've forgotten. But then again, it's not my day job. Uh, it's, it's not system design domains, but it's that human sort of, factors and things like that. Yeah, the human factor that there's just they didn't even consider having uh, having human factors consultants in it. It was purely technical people. Well, one of the responses was, "I don't know what human factors is." Oh, oh, I'd missed that. I think I was so appalled I'd stopped reading by that point. Yeah, I don't know what human factors is. There is a a link from Mahmoud uh, Hikmet's or Hikmet's Twitter thread. You do need to read through it just to understand because he explains it very well. If you are not uh, a technical person in this, he explains it incredibly well why you should be bothered. And honestly, I am astonished that this isn't all over the news at the moment and people are not absolutely furious with the company. I think that there's uh, funding secured stuff is taking the headline right at the minute. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, should we move on to happier things? Yes. Like car colours. Again, maintaining the theme of me not losing my uh, cool. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the colours that we put on our cars in 2023. Sorry, 2022. Surprising absolutely nobody, grey was number one by quite a margin, actually. It was a quarter of the cars that were registered were registered in grey. Mm-hmm. Second was black and white was third. That doesn't surprise anyone who's followed us when we've covered this for the last many years. It's especially white is on Tesla Model 3. So that's real, sorry, as it comes in at number three. And that is absolute benefiting kind specification. Yes. That, in fact, any other color costs a phenomenal amount of money on the Tesla. But what I am cheered by is if we go to the bottom end of the top 10, <laughs> brown, sorry, bronze, yellow, orange and green are all up only a tiny amount and their overall percentage is tiny but still they're up i'm i'm looking for positives here alan i'm really grasping yes. at straws yes and the the, the the green however can include dark greens and stuff but it's, it's amazing so of course the cash guy was the most registered new vehicle in the uk in 2022 so lots of these but like the most popular color and car combo is a gray nissan cash guy yeah the second most popular is a black Nissan Qashqai, white Tesla Model 3, blue Nissan Qashqai, red Nissan Qashqai, silver Ford Puma. Those of us you who think that everyone is all about the Porsche 9, 911 GT3 in purple, just do remember that there is far more appliance specification goes on. I mean, and you know, I'm sure that people like Kazoo will be looking closely at this list and stocking up on monochrome Nissans. Yes. Fast moving stock. It's so dull, though. For goodness sake, somebody go choose a color on a car. It doesn't yeah. have to be a bright color. It just has to be not gray, black, or white. Yes, not monochrome. But uh, as a slight counter to that, mm-hmm. uh, I've also linked in the show notes a thread from the Twitter handle of Sports and GT where they link to their YouTube video where they discuss the sports car manufacturers and which colors were the most popular for their vehicles. And there is more color in this, mm-hmm. in these oh, options. Be. And that, that's great to see. So uh, to 
cheer yourself up and realize that not all hope is lost, although it is quite a niche segment. Uh, do go and watch that video. Can I just underline that I blame Quentin Wilson for all of this? Oh, yeah. Because he's the one who publicly came out and started saying, oh, resale value, resale, resale value, yeah. resale value. And so that's that's where lots of this stuff comes from, in my mind anyway. This is about people choosing their cars for other people yeah, rather than choosing them cars for themselves. And when you're buying a sports car, you're buying a sports car for yourself. And that's why you're more likely to get more interest and color because you're buying it for you. Yeah. Whereas here you're buying it, you know, what's the lowest lease price, whatever, resale value, blah, 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 blah. And that's why it's, it, that's why cars are bought privately, stuff like the Peugeot 2008, for example, and the 208 uh, appearing in the top colors by car, then they are more likely, and even the Yaris as well, they're more likely to be a more interesting color because they're being bought by a person. Yep. And actually, judging by those ones, the chances are it's their children that are going to be having to sell them once they've snuffed it. But it's... it's... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Generalized Demographics Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of very personalized sports cars, do you want to take us to Liverpool? Yeah, a very quick one. I mean, it's a short trip for you, obviously. But it's a quick mention that uh, ex-McLaren uh, CEO Mike Fluitt he is staying within the automotive industry and definitely the higher end automotive industry because he's joining BAC, Briggs Automotive Company, makers of the mono, of course, as chairman. So he's going to be bringing some of that experience from the past, joining Ian and Neil Briggs at the top of BAC. Those They build amazing things. Yes. I still have the scar on my knee to, to prove it, yes. <laughs> I do need to go back and visit them. It was a, it was a fabulous uh, uh, trip. But he's coming in to help uh, with BAC's strategic scale-up. Yeah. Obviously, they are looking to sell more uh, of what they do, and they're working out how they can do that. <laughs> Let's move swiftly away from there. And I'm going to just quickly run over the fact that the Chinese EV company, BYD, is confirmed that it will be launching in the UK towards the end of the first quarter of 2023. They're going to start with their first SUV, which is the Atto 3. It's a compact SUV. And if you think along the same lines as the MG ZS or the Kia Nero, that's the sort of size you're looking at. And then more details will come out as they get closer, and I expect this company to make a lot of noise so no one will miss it. I remember maybe a decade ago seeing BYD took a stand at Geneva, and they had these tinny awful things where most of the badging was still in... Ah, oh, I'm right. Uh, most of the badging was still in Chinese and all sorts of stuff, and they were these weird-looking things. But this isn't the first time BYD have been sold, in inverted commas, in the UK. Because there was a minicab fleet in London which used BYDs, uh, electric right. BYDs, for, for quite a while. They're all 2014 registered. There were a whole load of them used to sort of live and be stored under in a queue park on um, uh, on Park Lane. Oh, right. Okay. And loads of them, which were some of them were pretty smashed up and stuff. And I don't know that it was a very successful experiment. But this will not be the first time that BYD has been in the UK. Sorry, the hesitation in the background there was me just searching my photos by, by location <laughs> to, to actually just check they were BYDs. I've only got a picture of the front, so I can only see the, the, the badge. But this is a company that's going to come on leaps and bounds. BYD also, at the start of COVID, they did a massive pivot. 
and they almost immediately became the world's largest producer of disposable face masks. Yeah. With the like the CEO and everyone on the factory floor making these things. They pivoted away from cars, uh, put all of that stuff on hold, and were like, right, what does the world really need right now? Yeah. Uh, and did that phenomenally quickly. Don't underestimate BYD. They're not Geely, no. but they're not always a million miles away from it. They're not trying to buy up most of the Western sports car manufacturers. <laughs> well, talking of Geely, do you want to take us to Saudi Arabia then? I think we've mentioned before, haven't we, that Renault and Geely are pairing up on new engine development. I think so. And they're starting a new venture. They've got a third partner in that, and that is Saudi Aramco. So Saudi Aramco, one of the world's uh, largest oil companies, it is the Saudi Arabian state-owned oil company. If it's not strictly state-owned, it's mostly state-owned. They've been around a while. They're chiming in. They're in discussions to take a stake of up to 20% in this new Geely Renault uh, joint venture. You notice it's Geely Renault, no mention of Nissan in there. Oops. No, no that's that talking of which that looks like it's coming to a head and a positive ish mm-hmm. outcome is sounds like it's going to happen, but um we haven't heard yet the full details. Right. So Aramco is also in partnership with Hyundai uh, as well. They did a, a whole study on advanced fuels and hybrid engines and ways of reducing CO2 emissions and stuff. But obviously it makes sense for Saudi Arabian state oil company to be involved in this. Not that Saudi Arabia isn't trying to branch out beyond oil, Mm -hmm. uh, as I think we can see with many of the things that the state is trying to buy into, uh, electric vehicle companies, for example, whether the funding is secured or not. That 250-mile city. And 250-mile city, all sorts of loads and loads and loads of stuff. I'm going to now talk about some positive, no pun intended, news for a battery factory in the UK. And this is that WAE Technologies, formerly Williams uh, Advanced Engineering, until they were bought out by Fortescue, will be opening their battery factory in Oxfordshire towards the end of April this year. Now, they hope to eventually create 300 jobs over this, and they also hope to have a capacity of up to 400 megawatts per hour per year of batteries. But this isn't just batteries for cars. This is batteries for all types of vehicle. I mean, they've been doing a lot of work on, because Fortescue is an Australian mining company, they've been doing a lot mm. of work on huge batteries for mining <laughs> equipment and yeah. the enormous scale that they are at to make mining profitable. The CEO of Fortescue, Forrest, has got a lot of hope mm-hmm. for and a lot of aims for this company in supplying these batteries to, across industrial and commercial places so this is just a factory and not a, so a couple of differences here between this and british fault this is just a factory not a gigafactory and it's also got a customer and a product yeah <laughs> bit different from british fault yeah quite <laughs> quite <laughs> Spe- speaking of batteries lots of ev stuff this week lots of little stories which i'm trying not to talk about too much but failing miserably a large petrol station in wolverhampton of all places has been granted permission to replace its car wash with seven electric vehicle chargers, according to a story on Motoring Research. Do we think that this is going to be something which which happens more and more? 
goodbye car wash hello yeah i think it's the only space left for a lot of petrol forecourts in which to do that without ripping up the actual petrol tanks themselves which they can't do just yet yeah it's also an ev charger by the way significantly less hassle than a car wash ev chargers they're still going to need some maintenance but not nearly the the same kind of thing and there'll be companies who are willing to rent that space from you uh, and put the charges in and all the other stuff so really it's a way of increasing usage and increasing uh, income as well without all of the outgoing stuff i think that this is the relative start of something that's going to be far more popular also the car wash is often quite close to the building already needs lots of electricity to make it run all sorts of things which are positives when it comes to positioning and siting ev chargers yep a second quick bit of positivity about charging networks because we we Mm. need it in this country Uh, liverpool is looking to treble the size of its on-street charging network by signing a deal with ubertricity now ubertricity utilize the existing streetlight network Uh, and can charge at up to five kilowatts. And this is more like if you're outside your house, but you don't have off-street parking, you do it overnight, you're fine the next morning type stuff. This is overnight charging, not rapid charging. And that's how you keep the cost down. That's how you charge on a day-to-day basis or on every few days to every few days basis. But this is related to another story as well, isn't it, Andrew, from the, the government? It is. They've got together with Ofgem and they've developed a plan called the Electric Vehicle Smart Charging Action Plan, snappy title, Mm. where they said it could save customers up to £1,000 per year through more, and I'm quoting here, intelligent and automated EV charging. Can we just quickly focus on the £1,000 a year? Because it's claimed that the average motorist could actually save around £200 a year. It's high mileage drivers who could save £1,000. And there's also um, hmm, there's also a lot of hope because they talk about, and this is something I've seen several times when discussion over the cost of charging comes up uh, now at home as well because of the increase in energy prices, that people say, oh well, you just use you just swap to one of those Eco Seven type mm-hmm. tariffs, and that is fine if it's yourself or a couple who can live without electricity during the day and all the rest of it but if you've got a family it's not realistic to be on those tariffs you have to be on the tariffs that don't give you any break at all type stuff and that means electricity costs you what it costs you Mm -hmm. and it's not smart times obviously if you're at home i would think a lot of people do only charge at the times when it's there's less drain on the network so at night that sort of thing anyway it makes financial sense as much as anything else yeah how the network will also be able to uh, control what draw is being put on it that makes me a little bit nervous about this i want to know more details about this because we've been promised stuff before with smart <clears throat> meters that have honestly not happened and they've completely gone 180 degrees i'm not saying it can't happen I just want more details. Having been involved in a smart metering rollout planning project, that does not surprise me at all. The smart meters even supply electricity is is a bit of a wonder, to be perfectly honest. When they work, they're good because they give more accurate representation of of your actual usage. But when they don't work, they're not good. Not good at all. And I've got experience of both. 
Mm-hmm. I think that finally brings us to the end of the first part. It does. It's been a bit of a monster. Lots of little stories and then some idiot kept talking. But that means that it is a guilt minute, the quick break in the show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Uh, if you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from our podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whichever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, thank you so very much. The one last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everybody. Those who do listen via Google Podcast app, Mm. there are strong rumors it's disappearing. I'm keeping an eye on that. If it does, I will be in touch with you and let you know the recommendations that are out there for uh, continuing. That's a collective you and not a you personally, although given the number of people who do listen to us on Google Podcast app, you might as well just do it personally. (laughs) New New Car News. Yes, uh, New New Car News. First up, uh, on this side of the Atlantic, the Chevrolet Corvette. The Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray has been revealed. It's going to be a 655 horsepower supercar because it's a Corvette. This is is going to be a hybrid Corvette. This is not going to be a hybrid super stroke sports car in the style of BMW i8, where you have a mostly electric and a three-cylinder petrol engine. No, this is America. So it's going to be... It's going to be a small hybrid allied to a V8. It is set to go on sale later this year. It's going to be all-wheel drive, um, so it's probably, I would imagine, an electric motor to the front axle. In the US, it'll be from $104,295 plus tax, plus all the stuff that the dealer's going to put on, probably plus a premium because America... And the convertible is going to rise to uh, $111,295, plus all the stuff I've just grumbled about. Um, will it be sold in the UK? Nobody knows. It'll have naturally aspirated 6.2-litre LT2 V8, the same one as the base the, the base Stingray, but then the electric motor, as I say, on the front axle, will add 160 brake horsepower and 125 pound-foot of torque hence the 655 brake horsepower yeah so a little bit it's not the most powerful the z06 or the z06 puts out a 670 horsepower some of that's not a huge surprise i do if you watch Huvi's garage he bought a z06 and they sort of took the under tray parts off just to have a look and there's a lot of space under there Oh, okay. Preserved and around the front axle, and they did comment. Actually, it was like, "Oh, look, there's um, in the the front suspension, there's pass throughs for drive shafts and stuff." It's been designed with this from the outset, I would imagine. So the space down the middle tunnel for the battery pack, uh, so the batteries are will be probably be very central, and then there is there's a ready space uh, within the standard Corvette platform for a front mo- a front electric motor and the drive shafts for the front axle. That kind of detail, not a big surprise at all. Goodness knows if it's going to be available in the UK, but they're not very polite. They're, they're, they're a bit, they're a bit steam kettle. <laughs> they are. They're not. They're not very 
attractive looking vehicles, to be honest. But that's just me. What do I know? Here's an attractive looking vehicle, Andrew. Yeah, moving back to Blighty. And Aston Martin has revealed the DBS 770 Ultimate. This is them starting to celebrate their 110th year. And it's the hurrah to the uh, the DBS, uh, which is is a very good-looking car, to be fair. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the wheels. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, the pictures for this, the wheels, you will need a toothbrush to clean them. They seem quite fussy. But the, the, the overall shape of the car is, you know, it's a DBS, isn't it? So it's mm-hmm. hardly ugly in any shape or form. This is not going to be quicker than the existing. So it's 3.5 seconds, not 62, 211 mile per hour at top speed. And with a weight of 1,845 kilograms, uh, the 770 Ultimate weighs the same as, t- as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is um, so. This is the, the, the same twin turbo V twelve instead of the instead of some other plans that there were previously. They are updating things that you don't notice, though, or to see. So things like the chassis mm-hmm. uh, is being updated, and that required upgrades to the adaptive damper system and calibration of all that sort of stuff as well. So things have happened. This isn't just a badge, and then an incredibly eye watering amount of money you have to pay no. for it. <laughs> <laughs> they are only building 499 by the way uh 300 coupes 199 volantes but it doesn't really matter because they're all spoken for yep there's a new car you can't buy Yay! Another one. <laughs> that's a two out of three so far right well do you want to take us all the way to germany now well yeah <laughs> yes mercedes-benz have unveiled the 2023 cla that is the melted a-class saloon if you're trying to picture that in your mind, because goodness knows, you may have completely forgotten that it existed, a bit like I have done. There is also an estate version, the yep. shooting brake version, which, again, I had completely forgotten existed. I think that one looks all right, actually. The I think it looks all right, actually. I don't mind the yeah, I don't mind what I'd like. There are revisions across the range, but really everybody's focusing on the CLA 35 and 45. The 35 starts around £48,000. The 45 starts from around £65,000. They are a... There is hybrid assistance. I think it's a mild hybrid. And they are quite quick. There we go. Uh, CLA45S doesn't have the hybrid assistance, but from 2 litres, it's putting out 415 brake horsepower, 369 pound feet of torque uh not 62 in 4.1 seconds and 167 mile an hour top speed uh no matter what the body style you've chosen i don't get it but there we are sorry it's a very fast Renault again wow that's a bit of a statement it's a very fast Renault again it's I, 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 sorry. I, I have trouble with this because whilst the Corvette, I don't really like the look of. I get it. Mm-hmm. The Aston Martin, I totally get. But this, I, I have trouble. I, I don't know. I, I have trouble with the A, the A class Mercedes these days. I don't. I don't really. And, and well, it's just trying to compete with the stuff. one series and the A three, isn't it? And so therefore, they've got hot versions. So. But Mercedes but, have to have a hot version. But it's 416 horsepower. What are you going to do with it? it Why are you going hyper, to buy a compact? Th- this a compact- is the thing. You know, when people talk about hot hatches now, hot hatches are the soon-to-be-dead Fiesta 
the I-20N, that's a hot hatch. The stuff above that becomes hyper hot and it's, it's hyper hot hatches. But it, but it is because the, the step in power is so vast that it, you can't call it a hot hatch anymore. Uh, it, it's, it's like, you know, uh, well, 500 brake horsepower. Well, That's you, not a hot hatch anymore, is it? You know, even the last time that Civic was still classified as a hot hatch, I, I just don't, don't get on with Honda Civic Type R. Yeah. But that aside, I still don't believe it's a hot hatch anymore. No. It's, it's, it's competing with these kind of cars. It's yeah. not competing with your, you know, even the Focus RS or anything like that, which doesn't exist anymore either, or the Puma ST. It's not competing with those Puma STs as close as you get. You might as well just call it a hot hatch and be done. It's more of a hot hatch than the Honda Civic Type R is these days. Yeah. They've made a whole new mark, uh, niche for these crazy things. But, but um, is there really a market? I mean, that's that's. I guess well, they obviously sell enough. Yeah, true. Or they're uh, loss leading and they don't care because it's BHP not to sixty war or mm. whatever's going on. It's true. It's just, the German brands do tend to do that. Anyway, further down the line, you can also get a CLA one eighty uh, with one hundred and thirty four brake horsepower, which sounds the way I'm going today sounds like it's more suited for me. Uh, there's a two hundred and twenty one brake horsepower CLA two fifty four Matic as well. If you if you want a little bit more grip, but also the chance of stuff going very wrong more quickly. And there are CLA 180D, 200Ds, and 220Ds as as well. Uh, the one I missed is the CLA 250E, uh, which has electric-only output up to 107 brake horsepower, making a total of 215 uh, from its 1.3-litre four-cylinder petrol engine. Do you know what? That sounds like it's the one that I would choose if I somebody put a gun at the back of my head and said, you, you can't choose anything else, you have to have one of these. Um, that's probably where I would go. If I could have that with the estate, I'd probably be adequately unashamed. <laughs> and on that high praise, I'm going to take us to the designer's mood board. <laughs> and this is the very incredibly strong rumours that Bentley design boss Andreas Mint is going to move to Volkswagen to replace Joseph Caban as the head of VW Design. The CEO of VW, Thomas Schaffer, is said to have been incredibly unhappy with the design language that was being developed under Caban's uh, pen, CAD, mouse, whatever whatever the actual description we need to use these days is, uh, including to the point where the Trinity EV was thrown back and said, redesign that as a crossover rather than a saloon. That seems quite... A large falling out. <laughs> yeah, and the, the surprise here is, is of course, that previous vehicles that showed the the sort of direction of, of Volkswagen, uh, and even the ones that people go, I really like the look of that, like the ID Buzz, and I'm talking about stuff like the ID Life concept and things, were definitely getting critical acclaim, and people were going, we like this, this is this is cool, this is something we can get on board with, but it seems that maybe the extension of that wasn't wasn't quite the same. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that because he's due to start, if the rumours are true, on the 1st of Feb, so that's not long, that long away. <laughs> that's next week. Yes. yes. So r- rather quick one there. Would you like to take us on a long journey in a Volvo, please, Alan? I would, actually. I would quite like to go on a long journey, journey in a Volvo. This is an older one from uh, Classic and Sports Car in November last year. And it's about a, chap, a Canadian chap who decided that he was basically post-COVID, 
you know, well, COVID when we're all sort of stuck, cooped up in the houses and couldn't go anywhere. And the chap, uh, Xavier Thériault, he decided that actually he was going to drive from from one side of Canada to the other and back again just to, to get out and see the world and sort of get out of it. So I'm not going to read any more into this. I'm not going to tell you much more about it because it's really uh, an, it's really an interesting story. Yeah, It's the ultimate road trip. I'm not sure whether I would choose an elderly Volvo, but on the other hand, if you're going to choose something which is going to make a road trip, being able to fix it mostly with a hammer and a, a hammer and a wire coat hanger, then then that's you're going to choose that or a Mercedes W123, I guess. Yeah. Fantastic. And some great pictures, um, oh, including yeah. Northern Lights, all sorts of stuff. Have a read. That's a good 10 or 15 minutes uh, of your lunchtime and a bit of a, a distraction from all the other news like about Volkswagen styling and all that kind of thing. Yep, superb. That's the sort of stuff we love. Expeditions or adventures mm-hmm. with a car. List of the week, and it is the fact uh, from it's from Haggerty, and it is happy birthday, 83 cars celebrating anniversaries in 2023. Well done to Ant Ingram for spending his time obviously going through and collating this. Well, yes, quite. That's a remarkable effort. Rather than go to individual cars, mm-hmm. is there a because they've broken this down into segments of years? Yes, uh, it seems to be five or ten year periods. Is there a particular section of years that appeal more than others in this? Okay, so that wasn't quite the question I was expecting. So let me just have a quick zip through and reminder. Um, Let's go for 50 years. The class of 1973, I think, uh, half a century of driving pleasure. I I think it's it's particularly good. I mean, there's some which, which aren't so great in there. But it does include yes. thing. It does include vehicles uh, like Triumph Dolomite Sprint, which I love. Matra Bagheera, even the BMW two thousand and two Turbo, and 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 such. You know, it's kind of weird actually to think the Volkswagen set sat in the Triumph Dolomite Sprint came out around the same time, and loads of other sports cars and uh, Dino three hundred eight. I don't want to read out everything in there, but it's um, but yeah, that that is particularly strong. I think. Yes, that's a, that's a good choice. As there's only uh, a few segments, I'm not going to give are my choice now. Seven or eight. Seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but even, uh, even you know, there's... But there are some cracking cars in all the segments. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could have picked any of these and, and gone, yeah, this, this, and this. Um, I think the 40 years, the 1983, is, is possibly one of the weaker ones. But even then, even then, mm. yeah. Yeah, uh, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. Do you want to sort of tidy up something that we have been remiss on passing on to the listeners? Well, normally we make a point every year of reminding everyone when the Evo car of the year comes out. It's particularly the video uh, that accompanies it. We we missed it by three weeks because it came out three weeks ago. Uh, And yes, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to the Evo car of the year video on YouTube. 40 minutes of your visual and oral pleasure and an interesting lineup yes it is a very interesting lineup and their conclusions are very interesting too and the reasons why Uh, i love this Uh, i i think we all love seeing this once a year ideally like to see it more but i I imagine it costs a fortune for them it's a lot of thing it's it's interesting (laughs) that five out of the eight are mid-engine 
Mm. Do go watch. It's excellent. Yes, covers the whole, well, pretty much the whole, the whole spectrum of, of, of possible price ranges as well. So there's, there's something for almost everyone in there. Yep. I think that rounds us up for this week. Nothing for Parish Notes this week, I don't think. That we won't be doing a live stream next week? Won't we? Okay. We won't be doing a live stream next week. That might be trickier. It might Bearing be. I hadn't, thought, things are... I hadn't thought that far ahead. <laughs> you do need to think that far ahead, Alan. Yes, well, I did think as far ahead as the week after that. Yeah, you did do uh, that. So, so yeah, we, 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 we may not do a live stream next week. If we do, it might be a different format. Yes. That fair? Yeah. Okay, let me think about that one. Right. Yes, we'll do something, I'm sure. Uh, so that's about that, really. But yes, live stream or not, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. And remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you'll find me there. And if you want to use, or you do use Mastodon, you don't follow me so far, then you can find my address for Mastodon in my Twitter profile. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally? Uh, if you want to get in touch with me personally, then once again, Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y and Mastodon, where I've got the same user handle. We'll be back very soon. Until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.